Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm going to go on for a couple of more verses. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Within our culture, there is a promise of abundant life. Commercials for the lottery and gambling casinos propose one way to this abundant life is win the lottery, hit the jackpot. Game shows hold out the hope for winning big bucks. Who wants to be a millionaire? An American Idol holds out the promise of instant fame and fortune. Many of the romantic movies have the theme of rags to riches. And then you live happily ever after. I cannot remember seeing one movie where the couple goes off and lives a middle-class life. I don't remember one. It doesn't happen. The theme of all of these things in our culture is that abundant life has arrived when you can get rich quickly. Some religious people have gotten into this cultural bandwagon, and they preach what we call the gospel of greed. They promise you that God will bless you with wealth and fortune if you have faith in miracles. The miracle is that somehow, miraculously, you will get rich quickly by some divine intervention into your life. Hard work, patience, perseverance are not a part of that gospel. But instead of hard work and dedication, you demonstrate your faith by shelling out your money to support the preacher of this gospel of greed. Now, this is nothing new. One of the guy, there was a guy in New York City uh, when I was in seminary there who was preaching that gospel. He wore expensive suits and he flashed his gold and silver and diamonds and he drove big expensive cars in order to model himself 
as an example that his message was true. If you have faith, this can be you. The big problem was that it was not God rewarding him. It was the sheep who were in his flock that were being fleeced by his false promises. This type tends to prey, P-R-E-Y, on people who are desperate and don't have much hope except for some miraculous help. I once had a parishioner who had a double dose of the promise of this kind of abundant life. It was a blend of motivational training in a pyramid sales system woven together with the gospel of greed theology. This parishioner told me that he only contributes to church because God is going to reward him more if he does. Unfortunately, that is a very primitive religious motivation. Offering a sacrifice to the fertility gods or the nature gods so that you will have more lambs, kids, or calves or your crops will come in abundantly. The children of Israel ran into that kind of religion when they entered the land of Canaan. But our motivation for making gifts or offerings in church is supposed to be, first, a thanksgiving for what we have already received. And actually, an act of thanks that we have been so blessed we have something to give and to share. A second motivation for our offering is that it should flow from a desire to support the good things that bring good to others. As Dr. Biggs often says, the definition of agape love, which is the kind of love in the church, is the desiring for the good, desiring the well-being of others, but more than desiring, doing something that will bring the good to others. A third motivation is practical. It's a spiritual exercising of overcoming our own innate selfishness by turning loose of something, big or small. It's the practice of giving something instead of clinging onto it and being like a two-year-old, mine, 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 mine. This exercise is a very healthy spiritual discipline of learning to turn loose of something. Now, many of us give monthly to the church with a check or an automatic uh, debit from our check to the uh, checking account to the church, but there are some people who do like every Sunday to put some cash in the offering plate as a way of feeling good by overcoming that innate selfishness, just giving something away. Now, way down on the list would be to simply want to pay my fair share for something that I receive some benefit from. Well, before I proceed, I want to clarify. Now, I am not am not saying that the abundant life equals abject poverty. It is not suffering and dying or starving to death or not having 
medical care, but actually when we develop spiritual depth and maturity, then we begin to be a tower of virtue possessing the qualities of honesty, integrity, dependability, compassion, understanding, self-giving service in the community. And if you develop those, then you are more likely to prosper because people know they can trust you. And people, us, like to do business with trustworthy people. Now, even though it's often a byproduct, material wealth is not the primary goal of the spiritual life. The abundant life Jesus is talking about is not measured by accumulated wealth. Although the other side of that coin, it might be measured by the joy and fulfillment one has as one gives away accumulated wealth to support good things that bless others. Now, the way Jesus said it in the gospel is, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Have life. I believe the abundant life he's speaking about means a life full of love and of friendship, full of meaning and purpose above and beyond our own self-centered interests. In the discussion about sheep and shepherds, there are several clues as to what leads to the abundant life. The most obvious is fairly uh, clear. It's right there. It's relationship. In the metaphor of the relationship between sheep and shepherd, we see that we should be assuming, because Jesus is calling himself the shepherd, he's talking about our relationship with Jesus. The quality of that relationship is primarily trust, as it's illustrated in the verses. The sheep and shepherd metaphor places that focus on closeness, on intimacy, on a relationship of trust. The shepherd knows each sheep by name, and the sheep all recognize and know the shepherd's voice, and they follow. Now, Audra Fogel told me her mom had some sheep, and this is exactly what happens. They run if they don't recognize you, and they come if you are the shepherd. By contrast, sheep don't trust the strangers they don't know, and they run and they scatter. In the next few verses, the metaphor is repeated somewhat differently, and the contrast again is made with thieves and bandits who will do harm to the sheep, and they don't listen to them either. We believe that Jesus was probably making a reference to the priesthood in his day, the priesthood which Herod, the puppet king under the Roman occupation, had appointed when Herod came to power. In other words, the religious leaders of his day were not serving the needs of the people. They were self-serving political appointees, opportunists, not shepherds who lay down their lives for the people. Remember the money changers in the temple? That was what the result of their administration was causing. The evangelist John is probably crafting his narrative so that his audience will also see implications for applying these terms, strangers, thieves, and bandits, 
to the divisive elements that were coming into the early church 70 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. We know from Paul's letters that there were some serious struggles in the early church about interpreting, understanding, applying this new religion that was developing. The churches were under sporadic persecutions. Often the church was operating as an underground church, loosely organized with no standard established doctrine yet. And no, got to get the right one, no official book yet. By telling the story of Jesus with the proper emphases, the Gospels were the first big step in establishing the proper beliefs and doctrines and practices within the community of faith. And why I'm saying this, it reminds us that a large part of the Gospels are affirming something positive about Jesus, but over and against the things that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the evangelist, and St. Paul felt were mistakes, felt were misinterpretations, false teachings about Jesus and his mission. So the audience hearing John's gospel being read in the congregation would know that there were strangers, thieves, and bandits in their day trying to harm the flock of followers of Jesus, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. The meaning John wants his audience to understand is that you can distinguish true shepherds from the false shepherds or preachers or teachers when you recognize the voice of Jesus in their preaching and teaching. And Eva Marie's prayer nailed that concept. You will see in the true shepherd's behavior and lifestyle one who is trying to follow the example of the self-giving Jesus. You will hear in the preaching one who is grounded in scriptures and the traditions of faith, and you will not hear strange and bizarre things coming from the culture. Now, as we know, influences from the pagan mystery religions, influences of Hellenistic Gnosticism, Stoicism, and some of that whatever feels good and makes you happy is okay kind of thing, in their day, they called it hedonism. Well, we know that those influences from the secular culture in John's day were pulling and tugging and trying to alter the direction that the faith was developing. Ever since and even today, those influences from the culture try to distract us and sway us and, and misdirect our faith. Those tugs can come from the right from the left, from above, from below. But to stay on the right path, John is saying, listen for the voice of Jesus. And those with a long relationship with Jesus will recognize his voice. Now, this is not to say we cannot change. The church and our theological expressions must always be adapting and adjusting in order to fit into, be viable and relevant in an ever-changing world. But it's critically important as we make those adjustments that we stay grounded in the tradition and stay focused on the life and teachings of Jesus. 
Well, I believe that is the point of that line in our text that says, I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come and go and will find pasture. Biblical scholars point out that in the text, it seems to shift the analogies from the village sheepfold, which was where one person was the keeper of the gate of the village sheepfold, and shepherds came into the village from the fields, and they would put their their little flocks in this one big sheepfold, and then they would go home and sleep. But that gatekeeper, that one person, would keep the sheep overnight, and then the shepherd came in the morning and would... He would recognize the real shepherds and let them go in, get their sheep. They would get only their sheep, and then they would take them out to pasture. But there was another kind of sheepfold. It was a smaller, more primitive sheepfold far out in the pasture areas, areas far away from the village. Maybe during dry seasons and drought uh, years, they had to go so far looking for pasture, they didn't couldn't get back to the village every night. So there were these little makeshift folds. And with those, the gate was literally the shepherd. He would sleep in front of the gate so that the sheep wouldn't get out and he could know that they were there. I used that method with my boys when they were little, when they put them in their room with their toys, and I would sit at the door and I might read them stories Being a pastor and often sleep-deprived, I would sometimes get sleepy. So if I dozed off, they couldn't escape. They stayed in their room. But the scholars suggest that this was also the time that the shepherd would check the sheep as each went into the fold to see if they had any injuries or had started any disease and then would treat them. That more intimate care, as well as the sheep learning from their experiences, that the shepherd would care for them as in Psalm 23, would lead them to the still waters and the green pastures. Also learned that the shepherd's crook and rod were comforting for the sheep would, I mean, the shepherd would tap them to keep them on the path so that they could get to the the water and and the pasture. Wouldn't beat them. That beating would only be to beat off the wolves or bandits who were coming to hurt the sheep, and so the sheep learned they could trust the protective care of the shepherd. Well, all of that metaphor is stressing is that those qualities of security, safety, nurture, guidance, and sustenance that are found in that relationship with sheep and shepherd, obviously we understand that to mean living the life of faith within a community of faith that we call church. And that's the way that we find and where we find the abundant life. That's what John is trying to say and remind his congregation. But ironically, this abundant life means limitations. Now that seems like a contradiction. Abundance, limitations, but you have to stay within the care of the shepherd. You cannot just wander freely from field to field, going wherever you want and trying and tasting any little interesting plant that you might find. It might be poisonous. But you also have to come into the fold regularly to be cared for, to have your wounds bound up, 
in our lives today, we understand that if we are ever to find true love and fulfillment, we cannot spend our whole lives searching for and sampling all the possibilities, hoping to find the perfect match and then magically live happily ever after. No, you find a good match and then you commit yourself to this one. Limit yourself to this one and then begin to build a meaningful and fulfilling relationship. The abundant life of marriage and family means a very profound limitation or elimination of all the other choices so that you can indeed grow in abundantly loving and trusting relationship. Pretty much it's the same in your pursuits of meaningful achievements in sports and music. You limit your options, all of those possibilities, and commit yourself to the discipline and study focusing on a certain number of gifts or talents. And in order to have a great choir or band or orchestra, all the members have to build a relationship of trust and loyalty with the leader, the leader, the director, the shepherd, who will lead you into wonderful successes. Wonderful music that we celebrate at Christmas time and Easter and every Sunday helping you experience that fullness. Especially in team sports, the deep sense of fulfillment comes when all the members of the team commit themselves to the success of the team over and above individual glory and recognition. All commit to follow the guidance and direction of the coach. But the good coach pays close attention to the special needs and, de and development of each individual player, not just the stars, but all of the players, helping them develop and come to their full potential, and that blesses the team and its success. Well, we have seen how our culture seems to glorify greed by proclaiming the abundant life is all about accumulating and amassing and holding on to wealth. And because that emphasis is in our culture, I believe it's an underlying cause of all the financial scandals that have wrecked our nation's economy. But our gospel tells us that Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. He was the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. But he showed us a different path to the abundant life, and he told us that he was the way, the truth, and the life. We trust him, and so we follow. 